Welcome to Beyond the Breakwater, where just beyond the crashing waves of fear, discomfort, and doubt lies the greatest potential for life transformation. We want to guide you into the open waters where the calculated risk you take becomes the turning point for you or your organization to thrive. So drop your anchors and prepare for departure in this week's episode of Beyond the Breakwater. All right, we are in the studio with another episode of Beyond the Breakwater. My name is Lindsay, and with me today is Ed. Welcome to another episode. Great to see you, Lindsay. Yeah. This has been a lot of fun doing this. Yeah, it's a blast. So last week we talked about the impact of a handout. Um, if I had to to try to recap it, I would say that um, we are talking about this dilemma of giving, of when to extend something for free, um, but when that can really be harmful, um, when that can kind of take people into a place of stripping them of their dignity. And we're really not wanting to do something that someone can do for themselves. So I kind of want to talk today about why is there such a dilemma of giving? Why is there all of this back and forth on like when to give, when not to give, assessing? Like that just seems like a lot of, of having to look at and examine situations and understand like when someone might be in crisis, when you're doing something that they can do, how to empower them with serving. So Ed, why is it such a dilemma? Lindsay, it's another great question. And I think it's one of those things that we're faced with um, as a society. We're really faced with this. We want to help people. The way that God wired every one of us, it's to make a difference and have meaning and purpose in our life. And I think the way that we understand that is by doing something for someone else. And I think it's kind of interesting. I just want to want uh, maybe us to think about. It's only on planet Earth that we're actually going to be able to do the things that we're doing. Um, you, we're never going to be help somebody with um, food or clothing or job. Um, we won't get to do these things in heaven. We won't help people get healing um, or comfort them. Um, so this is the only time in our whole life we're ever going to be able to do something like this uh, while we're on this earth. So the problem comes in is how do we do it and how do we do it well? Because we can do a lot of things, but it doesn't mean it's helpful. And I think there's a lot of things that we're doing for people that they can do for themselves. And we don't realize it, but we're really hurting them and robbing them. That's kind of what we talked about last week. And I think we're just going to take this a little bit deeper. And I would imagine last week and this week, people are going to wrestle the most with these two uh, weeks. Because mm -hmm. if you really take these things to heart, it's going to, it's going to fly in the face of what we're all doing and how churches are serving and how churches are giving. And I think in so many ways, we're doing more damage than good. And so it is a dilemma. We don't really know how to navigate through this. Mm -hmm. and, and I would say, um, as a starting point in this, the reason why we're having such a hard time is it goes all the way back to the 1960s when Lyndon B. Johnson came into um, his office as president. The goal was to eradicate poverty. Never before in the history of America have we had a president and a society that said we're going to eradicate poverty. And how they did it is they said, if we give people enough material goods, they will always make the right decision. They will always do the right things, and it'll lift them right out of poverty. And so all of the things like Medicare, Medicaid, uh, all those things that started, uh, now they're causing troubles because what they realized was all of these policies didn't do what they had hoped it would do 
In fact, it did the opposite. It created a dependency. And as a society, because we've never had a dependency um, on the government, per se, that it's caused a dilemma for how do we give now? Um, and so some people, you know, by choice, are not wanting to work because they have a safety net of getting payments from the government. You know, get on disability. That's a big thing in Michigan right now. If you're living in a place of, of lower resources, um, Get yourself on disability. Find a doctor, find a lawyer. Somebody can get you on disability because if you get on disability, you have an income. Um, now you don't have to work. Now you don't have to do anything. So we're, we're appealing to a safety net even though we really shouldn't. And so this becomes a problem for all of us um, so that when somebody is not working, maybe by choice, living off of government and the safety net, then they come to our churches and say, you know what, I'm kind of hungry. Can you help me eat? And they're able-bothered people. They can work, and they really need a job, and dignity is really important, but they've, they've almost like lost their dignity. And, and we've never seen that. And I think today we're seeing this in droves. And so the dilemma is, how do we really help that person? So this seems like a problem that is like the government welfare programs exist to take that on as a single-handed person is probably near impossible. Impossible. So where can the church step in? Where can businesses step in? What should be the new model for how to work with a system that is giving handouts? Yeah, okay. Let's talk about, um, just reviews for a moment, because uh, I don't think we spoke well on it last week. I didn't. Uh, there are times that you need to help. When somebody's house burns to the ground, they need immediate assistance. I mean, they need clothes. They need a place to stay. They might need cars. Uh, they need money. They need food. Um, so communities should just lavish on them everything that they need to get them going again. But there has to be a stopping point. There has to be a transition point where you transition from, we're giving you everything, that's that's where you can create a dependency very quickly. Mm. Um, where now, why would I try to better myself because I'm getting so much from all these people? So there has to be like an ending point or a transition point where now we're gonna help you, you know, get into that car, uh, but you're going to pay for it. And we're, we're not gonna give you a car, we're gonna help you buy a car. Uh, we're not going to give you a place to stay. That's a temporary shelter. But now you have to go back to work and you got to start earning money. And maybe we can help with a, maybe somebody can help with a loan or low interest loan. How do we do this in the transition? But then it has to go from we're giving it to you to I'm transitioning. I'm starting to provide as I'm able for myself to the point of now I'm self-sufficient. So there's times when hurricanes hit, tornadoes hit, um, crisis, you know, all of a sudden a breadwinner um, is now not able to work in a car accident and you have a family that I, I can't even pay my mortgage. We're living paycheck to paycheck and we really need the help with the community. That's when the community steps in, but the community has to get out. Mm. So that is okay to give for That's free in that situation. Giving. Should, in your experience, there be an explicit plan from the beginning of maybe in your mind as the giver, as the person stepping in to help should there be an end date in mind, or is that something that you assess as you're going? It's not necessarily an end date. It's when the when the circumstances begin to change. 
Mm-hmm. Um, do they need a job? I mean, is it somebody who's working or not working? If they're not working um, and their house just burnt down, get that person a job mm-hmm. quickly. But maybe they can't work yet because they're dealing with their circumstances. But help them help themselves. Which takes a level of investment. It does. As a, a person-to-person relationship. I think yes. sometimes... <clears throat> In America, at least, what we want to do is like, okay, we see someone in crisis mode, we give them money, and now I'm off the hook, and, and That's right. they're taken care of. Right. And so the transitional period exists because there is a person relationship there. Right. So we had somebody come to us years ago. Um, they needed help with rent, and they lost their job, primary breadwinner, and um, the spouse was working uh, very part-time, and he lost his job. And he couldn't find another job. And he came to us and asked for help. And I said, um, we're going to help make sure that you don't lose your home. So actually as a church, uh, we were paying their mortgage. Hmm. And this was going on. And I kept following up. You know, how's it going with, with work? Have you found something? No, not yet. Or I found some part-time. I can't make my mortgage payment. Um, so we were helping. Uh, we were helping until I saw posted online their vacation pictures and I said, you really don't need our help any longer. And I said, it's obvious if you're going to have money to go on vacation that you really don't need help with your rent. Um, and I got really angry. See, I quietly created a dependency so that now they didn't have to worry about their mortgage. They could spend their money on other things. Um, so shame on me. But I think it's trial and error. But then I think there's other people like think about in communities where, especially in your urban areas, um, I think the needs are overwhelming and people aren't working and they can't work and they may not have a bank account and they may not be getting any help. Um, I think this is where the church has a great opportunity to step in and boy, discernment, you know, who needs a job and who needs the handout. And I think there's a place for both. The problem is, is that when the person who can't provide for themselves, we're demanding that they work for it, um, which they're going to struggle with. And I think the same dilemma is when we give something to somebody who really could provide for themselves if they had a job or had an opportunity, um, and we keep handing it to them because now we've robbed them. So you can rob both people. You can rob the person who can't provide for themselves, and you can rob the person who can provide for themselves. And so I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. It takes a discerning person. It takes somebody to sit down and say, you know, how do we work through this? The problem today is that the way that our system is set up as a government is that you can't discriminate that way. You can't say, hey, you need a job, I'll give you a job. Um, Hey, you need food, I'll give you food. Uh, If you qualify financially, you're in. You're in. Mm -hmm. And then it's really hard to get them out. And so because there's no discrimination, I think we've created a safety net which makes it really hard for the rest of society to help. And if part of our God-given purpose is to help one another, I mean, what did Jesus say? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We're wired to love people. We're wired to help them. But now, who do you help? How do you help? And sometimes churches fall in the trap of almost being an accessory to the government of just, hey, let's have a food giveaway. Mm-hmm. And you just randomly hand it out to everybody who shows up. Are we really helping? Or are we just perpetuating a system? 
Or are we robbing people of their God-given dignity of, of where they can help or the, where they could provide for themselves? So when a person is not in crisis mode and you want to start making that transition, um, you mentioned giving them a job. Um, if there are able bodies, they can work. Um, what are some other ways that you can you can help someone get a leg up? Well, let's go back to the job one. It's so interesting when people come and they'll come to the church and they'll need something. And so often um, I will offer them a job and I'll say, oh, you need a gas card or you need money? Um, tell you what, we've got some lawnmower that needs to be cut. You could trim, you could clean, you can push a broom. Um, and you get angry. I don't want a job. I just want money. I just want a gas card. Um, and so sometimes trying to do the right thing for somebody because they've, they now have a, a dependency mindset that people owe them something and they're going to force their way to get what they want. Um, we've created something that's not good. Um, I give you an example from this morning. You know, we have an automotive garage. And a person said, um, I want to move to the front of the list, you know, top of the list so that I get my car work done first. And our garage manager, Mike, told me he called 23 times yesterday. Wow. You're like, if I bully you, I will get what I want. And I said to Mike, I said, I'm just going to throw a suggestion out to you. You have a conversation with him and say, every time you call me, I put you to the back of the list. <laughs> and I will call you when I start your car. Mm -hmm. So you see, what we're doing is we're handing over the responsibility back to the person mm. and saying, if you pester me, you won't get your car work done here. Mm -hmm. And we're not denying car work. He can go anywhere. But he's saying, I want your price and my timeline I'm demanding to have it my own way. And we very simply said, every day you call, you go to the back of the line. And right now the back of the line is next week. Mm -hmm. So keep calling. Mm -hmm. And trusting someone with a boundary. It's a boundary and it's giving them responsibility instead of I'm taking responsibility for somebody else. Like, like if you can't work, I'm so happy to help you. But if you can work, Here's a broom. Earn it. But a lot of people don't want that. And that's what's so hard about giving today. Um, and then you get people that are like, I can't work. And they give you this great story, which is a lie, so that you'll give to them. And then here's how the, the donor feels. Great. Until they feel like they've been scammed. And then when they feel like they're scammed, like, how do you help now? So this dilemma of helping people is one of the hardest things that I think all of us face. Mm -hmm. So just uh, last week, I was uh, pulled up behind a couple cars, and there was somebody who had a homeless sign. And I watched two cars ahead of me give a $20 bill. The car in front of me gave a $20 bill. And I watched them walking around, and I just struggled. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, hey, you know, can you do something? I know we talked about this. But this is our dilemma that we keep running into is how do we help? Mm -hmm. And you can make 40 bucks a minute standing a minute. on a corner, like by all means. Why like, get a job? Right. Yes. And that's the really hard part. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back to this dilemma of the government. 
because the government has created a safety net, um, all of us don't know how to how to help now. Mm-hmm. Um, let me give you a story of this. This might help you. Um, I think I learned this lesson uh, from 1988 to 90. I was in Guatemala for two years, and we were working among the Mayan Indians, a pure tribe, the Cacachical Indians, and I was working in their village. And um, while I was there, um, this widow came to me, and she told me, she said, you know, I'm, I'm really hungry, and I wonder if you can maybe help me with some food. And I said, you know, I can, uh, because some a youth group in America had sent $50 down that their youth group had raised. So I had $50 in the account, and I'm like, I can help you. So jumped on my motorcycle, went to the marketplace, got a big sack, like 80 pounds of corn, and uh, then 80 pounds of beans. So imagine on my motorcycle, I've got two <laughs> big sacks of corn and beans, and I'm driving back into the village. And when I got back into the village, I went to her house. I handed her, you know, all this food. She was so appreciative. Mm-hmm. I felt great. Went back, wrote to the youth group and said, hey, I just want to tell you what happened with your money. It was really great. Life-changing, really helped a widow. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I got a knock on my hut. It was uh, Nicholas. Uh, he was the tribal um, chief, if you want to call him. I mean, that's probably conjuring up bad images. I mean, he was dressed like us and looked normal, but he was the head of the village. And uh, came in and, you know, we had coffee together. We chatted for a while and he said, "Um, can we talk? I said, sure. She said, well, I heard what you did for this widow. And that was really nice of you. And, and it was really interesting because he said, you have a beautiful heart because you really wanted to help, and you did. He said, but can I explain something to you? This widow, we've been helping this widow for years. Her husband died tragically. We've been helping, so we all take turns, like for a week at a time, that we get a little extra, and then we feed her and her son. You came in and gave her food. You know what the rest of the village has now said? Let the white person help her. We're done. Mm-hmm. And um, and by now I'm not feeling good anymore. Mm-hmm. Here I thought I did a great thing. And he said, and I want to tell you the truth. It's very possible that she's going to become a prostitute for the rest of her life because that's going to be her only means to provide for her family. Okay, now, can you imagine how I'm feeling? Like, what did I just do? What did I just do? I apologized. I started to cry with Nicholas. I said, I, I didn't mean to do that. He said, I know. He said, I'm going to really try to get the village, and I'm going to tell them that I talked to you and that you realized you made a mistake, and you should never have done that. And... Don't ever do anything for her again. In fact, he said, I don't want you to ever do anything for anybody in my village ever again without my permission. Mm -hmm. That was a very hard lesson. Mm -hmm. It's when I realized the damage of a handout. 
And so I, you know, when I came back to America and you start, you can't help but think about this over and over. Helping somebody is really hard. And sometimes we think we're doing the right thing. Actually, we're not. There are times to help. There are times the best help you could say is, here's a broom. And there's other times the best help is, here's a sandwich, because I know you're hungry. So the culture was, it was pretty different over there from what we see in America. Yes. America being really, really individualized. Like you don't really see a lot of like the community stepping up to, to help out. Um, right. Like I think if I, if I was in a crisis mode, like my maybe close friends and families would know, but not my neighbors or, or anybody surrounding me. Right. So how does that translate to the American culture? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, here's the dilemma. That's why we keep talking about a dilemma. Not only do we have a government system, but we're from Midland, Michigan. There's a lot of agencies that are helping. For example, we have an emergency food pantry network. Uh, lots of churches have pantries. And so uh, when people call um, 211, which is a source of help, it's kind of a clearinghouse, and you say, I'm hungry, then they say, okay, um, call this person, call that person, go to this organization, go to that organization. So people are calling 211, and then they just go to the systems that we put in place that are non-discriminatory, and then they're just, oh, you need food? Okay, here's a box of food. Um, and then people eat that food. So here's the problem. We're keeping people in their circumstances, and we're not providing a way out. Mm-hmm. There's no way out of that system. When you're caught into that system... Um, going to a food bank and getting food, what happens when the food runs out? You got to go back and then you got to go back. Unless there's a life-changing event that happens, like like when you get tired of that and somebody says, would you like a job so you can start earning money so that you can go buy your own food? Now the problem is, is, but can I work and can I earn enough so that I can earn a living so that I can actually buy it? Uh, when poverty for a family of four is $30,000 and you've, if you're not working and now you get a job for $15 an hour full time, you're making the same thing that you can get um, in poverty and get, you know, the bridge card, which is food. You can get help with your rent. You can get help in, with Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Um, so it becomes very difficult for somebody who's in this level of poverty. How can they ever get out? And, and it's almost like a system has now trapped them. So what, what started out as a safety net, we didn't want anybody to fall through the cracks, has now become a dependency, and we're completely dependent on it. And so what churches are doing is, oh, so sorry you can't live on that. Um, I know you're living in a subsistence life, um, so come to our church and we'll give you more food. You know, we'll help you in all these other ways and we'll help you with rent and we'll help you with consumers bill and we'll help you with all your energy and we'll help you with gas cards and we'll help you with. So what have we've done? We're, we're perpetuating this system of dependency. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you that is something the church shouldn't be doing because if remember last time we talked about it, when I'm doing something for you that you can do for yourself, I'm robbing you of your dignity. Mm-hmm. And you really want to provide for yourself, but you're also caught in a system and you're caught in the trappings of, of the system that our society has set up. 
So there is a group that we've talked about that fits that that mold of someone who wants to provide for their families. They want to work. They feel trapped. We've we've talked about Alice. So that's yes. asset limited, income constrained, employed, which is a group found by United Way. So I think when we're looking at all of these examples of poverty and Alice and the above 75,000 are the three categories we've split them in, um, in a previous episode that you can listen to if you haven't heard that. Um, but hearing all of this, it's like, we have to start somewhere and we have to, we've started by, by giving jobs, by providing needs for people at a price that they can afford. And the government will catch those who are in poverty which how how many like percentage wise are in poverty well, in Michigan? Well, it varies by state, but there's about eighteen percent of the population. I believe that's the number in Michigan that just came out. So okay. one out of five people are mm-hmm. in poverty. And then how many are in Alice in Michigan? Another twenty five percent. So that is that's a larger portion of people than in poverty who. By the way, by the means of providing opportunities for people to to step out from that safety net and exit crisis mode when they maybe aren't in crisis mode, like that's where you can serve people in the the both Alice and below. Yeah, I think you provide opportunities. Again, it's going to go back to provide opportunities for them to do it for themselves. Okay, now I do remember. Um, those statistics in Michigan is 39% are Alice and below. About 25% are uh, Alice. Mm-hmm. And so that would make about 14% in Michigan mm-hmm. are in poverty. So a little bit less than one out of five. But you're right. I think we need a system where um, don't do it for them. That's the key. If there's one thing that I wish I could just say over and over and over again, stop doing things for people that they can do for themselves. Provide them an opportunity for them to succeed, not the end result. Give them a chance to earn money to go buy their food instead of giving them food. So a question that's kind of rattling around in my mind is, okay, we're talking about all of the the systems and solutions, but when we're looking at how like Jesus did ministry, I look at that and I'm like, okay, he gave food for free, like Jesus never provided something and said, okay, now pay me for it. So why is this model important or why are we creating something that when we have like scripturally in the Bible, like can't we continue doing Jesus or ministry like Jesus did? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question um, that I'm sure is going to be, people might disagree with me and they might uh, be challenged by this as well. In Jesus day, there was no safety net. I think at the core, I want to look at what Jesus did. He gave of himself. And I think that's probably the most important thing. He didn't have a stockpile of food and he was handing it out. He didn't have a stockpile of clothes and he was handing them out. He gave of himself all the way to the very end. He gave of himself when he died for us and then rose three days later. He had the clothes on his back. So I think the difference is he served people. Now, what gift did he have? He had a gift of healing. I mean, he was God. So when people came to him, and let's just say they were blind, and he gave them sight, I would imagine, I know this is not in the Bible, 
But I would imagine that person went and could start working. When a person was crippled and he healed them, now they didn't have to beg anymore. They could actually go work. I mean, when he healed somebody who couldn't walk and he said, take up your mat, stand up, take up your mat and go home. Um, they got up, they picked up their mat and they started walking home. I would venture to say they never went back to that place to beg again. Mm -hmm. See, it was a life-changing experience. They came in, a hand withered, and now it's restored. Now they can use two hands to provide for themselves. See, we, don't, we never hear the rest of that story. But I think the rest of the story is he gave them the ability to actually go and provide for themselves. And I, and I think that's the key. When he was doing food, um, you know, like wine, they ran out of wine. Uh, he wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for his mother. <laughs> his mother really arm twisted him. <laughs> he said, it's not my time. And, and, you know, just do as he says, you know, mom kind of overruled that. And I think he was honoring his mom by, by changing the water into wine. And it was also great um, for the family that received it. And they were honored um, by what he did. Mm -hmm. um, of course, he didn't charge for that. He didn't charge for when he fed people, the feeding of the 5,000 plus, you know, women and children. So maybe 20,000 people. He'd been preaching to them and they were hungry. And he knew they were hungry. And his disciples said, come send them away so they can go get food for themselves. Think about that. Mm so they can provide for themselves. And Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Mm -hmm. So he turned this teaching moment into a great miracle and he fed them all. But he also knew that now their bellies were full, they're gonna get home hopefully safely. Mm -hmm. And they just witnessed um, this incredible miracle. Mm -hmm. um, but let's go back. Remember when the Israelites came out and they were in the desert? God fed them every day. But he fed them every day but they still had things to do. They still had jobs in the community and things that they would go do. Um, so I think when we talk about how Jesus did it, um, it may be a little different because there was no safety net. If he sent 20,000 people into local villages, can you imagine a little tienda? I mean, a little store, a little storefront. 20,000 people show up in your little store. He also knew they could not provide for themselves. And if you send them all, how many hours would they have to work to go to a place to get food? And some might not make it because they're too hungry. Mm -hmm. So I think it's amazing that he just gave of himself and provided for them. But here's the other thing, too. Wasn't that a one-time crisis? We can call it a crisis. Wow, the day's over. Everybody's hungry. He fed them. Mm -hmm. In fact, when somebody came back to him, he said, oh, you're just back because... I gave you food. See, he called him on it. He did it one time. And all these people, I think he helped, he healed one time because they had a crisis. I can't walk, Jesus. Okay, I'll heal you. And it's like we've talked about with that water level line, like these people are not drowning anymore, but the water line has been lowered so that you can right. just breathe. That's right. Now you can do for yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think Jesus is one of the greatest models. I think we can look all throughout the Bible that God would provide. In fact, what does God talk about widows and orphans? Provide for them. 
Why? Why did God say that? Because they might not be able to provide for themselves. Provide for them. On an ongoing basis, and that's the difference. Mm. On an ongoing basis. Meet the crisis. Don't create the dependency. Mm. That's the greatest dilemma that the church faces today. Yeah. That's a lot of good stuff, and we are nearing the end of an episode, but we have more to come. Uh, We normally give listeners uh, something to do before you go. Ed, can you think of something that other listeners can do? Oh, I think awareness is probably the most important thing. I would encourage people to go back and look at the scriptures and see how Jesus did it. Mm-hmm. Um, go back. Just You can Google. I love Googling about the Bible. Just just say Bible. Jesus fed the 20,000, you know, or the 5,000. Uh, and then it'll give you the story so that people could actually read that for themselves. Look at how Jesus did it. Mm-hmm. Learn about how Jesus did it. And then um, just... Google maybe a food pantry in your local town and see how they do it. See what the qualifications are. I think for people to start learning, we're so saturated in a system that this is normalized. And I think the church has to act different. The church has to do it like Jesus did. If the church would do like Jesus did, crisis, take care of people. That's what Jesus did. Helping people provide for themselves. That's what Jesus did. And for those who can't provide for themselves, the widow, the orphan, take care of them. And I think he calls us to do so. I think awareness today. Just open your eyes, look at the resources in your town, and start to see that this is a systemic issue that the church shouldn't be participating in Mm -hmm. the way that is normalized, the Mm -hmm. way we just talked about. Yeah, that's great. All right. Tune in for another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Beyond the Breakwater, a podcast of Elevate Community Ministries. Don't let the conversation stop here. You can email us at hello at beyondthebreakwater.org. We would love to chat with you, answer questions, plan a visit, and help you take your next step. We'll see you next week.